Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, April 4th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words in the upper left-hand corner that say Start Here, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to the App Store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on it, It will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they engage these tools on a regular basis. And secondarily, because it also tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate it if you'd call us and do just that. Give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. That will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. Alternatively, If you don't want to call in live or you're listening through the archives, you can send us an email. You can email genie at 
N I E at whyagain.org. That's W H Y A G A I N dot org. And you can email me at tjh at mindshifters hyphen academy dot org. And as I'm fond of saying, we appreciate when you do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And if you call in and let us know how things are sitting with you as we discuss various topics or work through worksheets or read from various books, if you tell us what would be of more use to you if you're struggling with the worksheet process or if you've gotten some powerful positive benefit from the worksheet process, we'd appreciate hearing from you. It makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work, and the intention is to be of service. So, what's on your mind? How can we support you? How would you like to spend the next first hour of two hours, five days a week? I also remind you of the MindShiftersAcademy.org website where there's all the information you would need to join us for our support group tonight. We have support groups on Tuesdays and Thursday nights. And they're absolutely free. They're held through Zoom. And you can find all the information you need to join us at MindShiftersAcademy.org. And there is a separate info page for Tuesday and Thursday login for the support group. Different login key for each day. We'd be happy if you joined us. We'd also be grateful if you'd pass this information along to somebody else that you think might be interested. And again, all the information is available at MindShiftersAcademy.org on both Tuesday and Thursday nights from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. We have those support groups. And tonight's a Tuesday, so there will be a support group at 6.30 p.m. Central. So, what's on your mind? How can we support you? What's been resonating yesterday or last week as we were talking about the book by Christian Sundberg titled A Walk in the Physical? And the reading I was doing yesterday related to ego and fear or any other topic that's come up in the past 12 years, 12-plus years now. We're here to share in the community effort to learn more about what motivates us, what makes us tick, what makes us happy, sad, scared, frustrated, because then we are better equipped to make the decisions that only we can make in our lives. Each and every one of us has the freedom to choose. How will we spend our life energy, our time, our relationship energy. And the more we know about the laws that govern the flow of energy and personality and thoughts and emotions, the better equipped we're going to be to be able to make the decisions we need to make in our lives. I was listening to and reading the the book 
by Laura McGowan titled Push Off From Here. And in it, in a portion of it, she talks about how sometimes people are told, you can be anything you want to be. And Laura says, I don't really think that's the case. You can be you. You, You're the only one that can be you. And you can get better and better at being you. And when you, you find what really lights you up inside, this is very similar to what some other teachers about Michael Rice included when they're teaching about finding your life purpose. When you find that activity that really resonates with you, you're encouraged to just do it more and pour more of your energy into it and be the best you that you possibly can. Be more of you because you're you're part of the orchestra of life. You're part of the soup. You're another noodle in the soup. You are part of the fabric of life itself. And whatever skills, traits, interests, passions that you have within you, as you bring them out of you, you survive and thrive and the world does better. It's like the quote from the Thomas Gospels that says, if you bring out what is within inside you, what is within you will heal you. If you don't bring out what is inside of you, what is within inside of you will destroy you. And that wisdom from the Thomas Gospels is carried in several other spirit, deep spiritual traditions. And it's the reason most people talk about finding your passion or your life's purpose or your heart virtue or whatever they might call it, uh, with Michael Rice it's called your secondary purpose, it's the reason because it's centered on that wisdom that what you have as a personality and as interests and skills is a valuable contribution to life, the flow of life and creation. You may not see it as such. You may not know how it's valuable to the flow of life, and yet it will be, and it is. It is not your job to figure out how your life skills, your passions, your secondary purpose in Dr. Michael Rice's talk is going to make the world a better place. You don't need to know that. You don't need to try and figure that out. You do need to be you. You do need to bring the creative energy that's flowing through you, manifesting in form, as fully and clearly as you're comfortable doing, and that's how you add the most to life. And it's not your job to figure out how that's going to benefit you and others because that flow of life, that interaction of people and things and energies is far too vast for our conscious logical minds to ever sort it out at any level, much less at a level that might figure out, okay, so I need to do this so that so-and-so can have that so that a thousand years from now this can unfold. We just don't have that kind of capacity in our, in our intellect, in our rational mind. So it is highly recommended by many of the great spiritual traditions 
to find a way to get clear about what lights you up, what brings you more alive. I think it's David Weiss who said something like, sometimes it takes the night, the stillness of the night and the darkness to help you wake up and realize that anything that does not bring you more fully alive is too small for you. And in that way, you bring more of the creative energy that's uniquely working to express through you in each moment. You bring more of it into being. You bring more of it into form. You bring more of it onto the stage, into the performance of life as an orchestra. And you don't need to figure out how or why that's going to be good for you or somebody else You just need to allow it to flow. You need to find a way to let it resonate deeply and purely within you and then spend your time and energy letting that happen, assisting that in happening. Day in and day out, in various situations, with No fear, because fear is a product of conscious, logical, rational mind, as we were reading yesterday. It's a product of the ego. It's a product of resisting the truth of life. It's not a useful tool as anything other than an alarm to tell you that your thoughts are off the mark. So, We have plenty of time for comments or questions about all the reading I did yesterday related to fear and the ego or anything else. 563-999-3581. How can we be of assistance to you today? What, if anything, related to the couple of books we've been mentioning or another book you might be reading? is of interest for you to discuss today. Area code 610, I believe this is Susan. Hi, again, Dr. Tim. Um, I've just been thinking up thanks, thinking about how the Sunberg book has the way, when he says you are going to struggle on the earth, if you've chosen a human life, some of it's going to be hard. Stay with it be aware, be awake, allow it. It's all for your growth. I suppose that's been said many times by other people, but I've never heard it the way I'm hearing it now, and it absolutely makes it possible to feel um, not only able to stay with it, stay the course, but also, it's encouraging. It's like getting a getting permission to be okay, no matter what, because it's it is okay. Now I've heard it said it's all good, all that stuff, and I've understood on some level with that. But with this, this is causing for me a major shift, and I, I'm curious to see whether other people feel the same. I think part of it is it's because he to come here with partial knowledge of where he came from and then mentions 
struggles he has had. I don't know whether it's a physical disability or being bullied at school, whatever. He says, I'm having a hard time of things sometimes. He's in there with us in a way that I haven't felt with other authors. And I may be wrong. I've got to go back and start reading them again because it may seem very different. Um, So that's just a thought I've had. I mean, things are really, really, really rocky with one of the grandsons. It's the one he, he wants us to give him money, and if we don't give him money, he gets really nasty, and he says we're manipulative and narcissistic and privileged and cruel and abusive, and he goes on and on. And I just listen to this stuff, and I still feel the sting. Uh, and I, I've attempted to take it personally, but then the Sunbird book just says it gives me some kind of latitude to keep the the river flowing in the right direction, even when I run up against this. And I also don't feel as, as tempted to defend myself. Uh, I'll say yes, please don't. Yeah. Please don't when, defend yourself because, because it's essentially it's just a mirror, right? You're, whatever he's saying to you is the truth about himself, and he's being abusive as he's saying it. And he's being mm-hmm. entitled and narcissistic as he's saying it. And and what we know is that just comes from his pain. And oh, I know. You know, he's he's not at an age or a place where you can take that pain away. He has to deal with his own pain. Mm-hmm. And so, please don't take the bait to justify it. Please don't take it as a negative against you. And choose carefully how you're going to respond you can choose to respond with the gentle art of blessing you can choose to respond with you know tapping sessions breath work you know you can choose to respond with doing worksheets on anything that gets upset about you but choose carefully for your own benefit and eventually his and everybody else's in the family about how you're going to respond because your response is the only thing you have control over. That's true. You don't have control over his pain. You don't have control over whether or not he's going to work to resolve his pain, etc. Yeah. Um, he has managed to talk his one of his teachers into giving him $500 because he told him a sob story about how we don't give him money for food for his cat. So he's gotten some money. I do think he's using weed. He says he's sober. He swears up and down that he's sober. <clears throat> but he's he posts things, weird things. I'm not sure. In any case, we have no way of knowing those things, but it's interesting to me that when I mentioned, I said, well, you've got $500 from that teacher. Um, Maybe you could put some of that toward this that he wants from us. He doesn't even mention that. He just skirts right around it and finds other things to talk about that are blaming and insulting. So anyway, yes. Um, He says, boy, you'll get this. He says, my therapist tells me this, and my therapist says that you are really abusive. And I'm thinking, that poor therapist. I mean, why would she have a clue? We sound like monsters to him, I'm sure. I'm hoping well, she's but, wise and, enough. And, and it, it doesn't even 
um, it doesn't matter because the chances that any therapist would say that to somebody are on the low end. And Mm -hmm. if it is a relatively healthy therapist saying that to him, it's because that therapist is only receiving his side of the story. Oh, sure. And so it's probably not a very experienced therapist Mm -hmm. because an experienced therapist wouldn't make those kinds of conclusions without having other sources of input to verify or yeah. validate his perspective, your your grandson's perspective. Yeah. So so here's the thing, as I just finished saying, please don't focus so much of your energy on that, what he's saying, what he's not saying, what he's doing or not doing. Just focus your energy on your response. Find yeah. a way to feel loving regardless of what your grandson is saying or doing. That's coming right back to the Christian Sundberg book and talking about this is why, at least why he believes he's come here, and why he thinks most of us come here is to learn to be more and more loving in more and more difficult circumstances. Yeah. Well, boy, we're getting them. Yep. And, well, and being loving doesn't mean giving money to somebody. No. That's not the definition of being loving. We're talking about the mental, emotional energy that you generate within yourself, whether you're holding it in yourself or you're sending it off to somebody else. That's what we mean by loving. Mm-hmm. Being yeah. able to, to be in that space where you remember your true nature. Michael Rice calls it total, perfect, conscious Active, present, awareness of love. I'm adding the word awareness there. I'm emphasizing the consciousness there. Michael would Mm -hmm. just say, total, perfect, conscious, active, present love. And Mm -hmm. my my read on it means, you know, it says that at some level, Dr. Michael Rice knows everything is love, you're made of love, etc. So it's not like I'm without love. He speaks that way sometimes, but I think it's misspeaking. But yeah. what he's talking about is not that you're without love, is that you're without your awareness of your true nature as love. You've stepped into the dream or the hallucination and you're you're suffering, you're you're experiencing that reality of the false belief that I don't have access to my true nature, that I am not Loved, loving, and lovable forever kind of thing. Just to mm. quote the way of mastery. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. So on page 163, it's the essay number 083. This is my, my conscious logical brain wanting a definition. There's a, a sentence in there. It says, creation utilizes definition. Free will requires a context. I'm going to come again, so I wonder if you could help me understand that sentence. So what is the essay number again? 8083, it's on page 163. 
It's on page 163? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? This book was published last year next to my hometown in Connecticut. I think it's self-published. It just blew my mind. That's neither here nor there. But he was writing this book very recently. Anyway, did you find it? He's he's relatively recently decided to talk about his experience because yeah. he, he lived until age 30 and um, he had forgotten his memories and about age 30 he started following some spiritual teacher or reading a book by a spiritual teacher and um, I think he contacted that spiritual teacher and said okay so uh how do I do this? And that spiritual teacher told him, stop asking other people. Do your deep meditation process. Go inside. And when he, when Christian Sundberg stepped into that, that's when he remembered that he had this pre-life experience. Okay, so I'm, I'm on 083, the, a perspective on suffering. What, what yeah. paragraph were you reading from? paragraph a little further down than halfway creation utilizes definitions creation word begins in the middle of of the paragraph i mean i found it it, yeah well so here before we go too far into that when you were talking about how when christian talks about there's going to be suffering in your life even christian talks about this is one of the 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 basic truths from Buddha, the Buddha. And it goes beyond Buddha, right? The idea is Abraham talks about it as contrast. Buddha talks about it as there is suffering in life, etc. So what it means is, essentially, life is not going to flow the way our brain, our conscious logical mind thinks it should, And when we focus more on what we want rather than the way life is unfolding, we create this thing we call suffering. We create this tension, this pain on top of the physical pain. There's a mental, emotional resistance. So here this paragraph says, as a human, it can be difficult to understand suffering. But from the greater perspective of the spirit, the potential to suffer and even actual suffering is greatly worth the trouble, though it's never technically required to suffer. So think about this in terms of if we had somebody who desired an outcome like a body like one of the best bodybuilders or or to move toward that, I want some muscle added, I want some definition, Right, talking to somebody yesterday, they want to add um, eight more pounds of muscle to their body. They're in their mid-30s before they get married. So, so here's this person who wants to add that to their body, wants to have this goal. They're going to have to go into a process that makes them increasingly less comfortable, more uncomfortable. Some would say no pain, no gain, right? You have to suffer. 
We understand that when we want to make a muscle stronger. We understand that when we engage in physical therapy after an accident. We want to rebuild the, the muscles and the nerves and the tendons, etc. What he's talking about in this book is that he has access to a level of perception that says everything about our existence and experience on the physical level is no more significant than somebody going to a gym to build some muscle and lift heavier and heavier weights and watch what they eat and not have as many desserts and put some more protein in and fewer fats, whatever it is. It may not be what they prefer in the moment, but it's going to help them reach the bigger goal. And the whole premise of this book is that your true nature, your soul, your essence is far more vast than your conscious logical mind can comprehend. And that your higher self, your soul, your essence, your consciousness decided to come and take up form, to have a life as a physical being, simply to grow and stretch in ways that you can't unless you come into this gym. Right. Right. Life on the planet in the physical is like a spiritual being going to the gym. Here for us physical beings, we've got beautiful restaurants where we sit in comfortable chairs and people come wait on us. We've got couches in our house where we sit on them and watch you know, DVDs and movies or TV shows or whatever, and, and we enjoy that. But when we're in that environment, we don't move toward our goal of having a more shapely or fit body. So we mm-hmm. leave the house and we go to a gym. Well, what they're presenting in this book is that your life here as a human being is no different than a human being deciding, I'm going to get up and go to the gym. You were in spiritual, energetic consciousness form with no body, and you decided, I'm going to go have this experience on the planet as a physical being just to stretch and grow. So suffering from that perspective is worth it, just like somebody thinks it's worth it for me to change my diet and get myself disciplined to go into the gym and you know do these weights and exercises until my muscles burn and then give them a day or two to rehab and go do it again. It's worth it for the results. The suffering that we have in the physical realm, according to this book, is worth it because of the growth we're getting and that there's a higher part of us that understands that, even if your conscious logical mind thinks that's stupid. Yeah. Now, it also says it's not necessary to suffer. You didn't have to come here. He talks about that in other parts of the book, but you chose to. And then he says, quote, what is, capital W, capital I, what is, in quotes, actuality of life, according to Dr. Michael Rice's work, it can become more when it, through you, can experience specific contrast. This is right out of the Abraham work. We come here, we are hoping to experience contrast because it helps us stretch and grow and realize what we want more of and focus our mind energy on that that point of attraction, and then we get more of that, etc. This is exactly like the 
the Abraham work. We are what is. Our consciousness, our essence, our soul can become more as it experiences contrast through our experience, even when it can experience fully what it doesn't like. Because that better defines the opposite. Creation utilizes definition and free will requires context. The spirit, in a fundamentally joyful state, decides in all of its eternal and invincible power to facilitate new experiences for itself so that it can integrate them. And in so doing, become even more. Expand the frontier of all experience and add more to the joy. Abraham talks about we who are in physical form on the planet right now, we are on the leading edge of creation. We are not just creating in the physical realm. We are creating emotionally and energetically. We are growing in our experience, in our spirituality, in our ability to extend love in more and more difficult circumstances. This is all right there in the Abraham teachings. It's right there in the Way of Mastery teachings. It's right there in the Course in Miracles. What we do with our conscious logical mind is only useful as part of a bigger context. Otherwise, we define this is bad and that is good. It has no use except to create tension within us. But if there's a bigger context in which that tension within us helps us expand and grow, then it can be useful. So, this idea of we experience things that we don't like, that helps define the opposite. Creation uses that definition as being the opposite. It just utilizes it to help expand our experience. Right? So what if nothing is good or bad, right or wrong? What if everything is connected and we're all the same and we're floating out there in, in consciousness? What, what's the point of free will if there's nothing to choose from? The next line says, free will requires a context. Are you going to choose left or right, up or down, good or bad? Well, if you're in a state of experience where there, everything is the same, there is no up or down, there is no left or right, there is no time, linear, etc., then there's no role for free will. So free will requires context, and the context is created by us as we define creation as aspects of creation we define this is something i prefer that's something i don't like this is something i label as good and joyful and comfortable this is something i label as bad and wrong and shouldn't be so without that definition and creating this context there would be no point to free will
Does that help make sense of that little what is is you you can become more when you experience contrast even when it can experience what it doesn't like because when i experience what i don't like it defines the opposite you as creation you utilize that definition of what is opposite of this and i like this and i don't like that you use that to create the context in which free will has some meaning. <clears throat> so this is, I'm afraid my brain is just not engaging very well with this. But are, is, are you saying then that all of this takes place as a way of we manipulate form? It's all form. It isn't fundamental. Yes. Yes. And, and we make decisions about it. I like this. I don't like that. Okay. And 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 then if I can learn to stay more and more in the space of love and alignment even when I'm in the middle of experiencing something that I say I don't like because I've defined it as bad or wrong or whatever my definition of it helps create the context in which free will has some meaning. But without that yeah. context you know, if if everything is just energy and all energy is connected and it's all going to work out fine, what's the use of free will? There isn't any. So it's perfectly okay. As a matter of fact, you know, if Michael Rice were here talking about in the ancient Aramaic teachings, they would say, you're getting confused, you're getting, you know, you're falling asleep, you're going unconscious. That's perfectly okay because... The concepts that they're trying to lay out for us now with these specific words and ideas about definition of good and bad and the context that creates and how without that context there's no sense of free will, all of that is just mumbo-jumbo words we're making up. We won't grasp this fully until after we're able to experience things outside language, beyond many, many layers and levels beyond mm. what we're pushing around here in the physical as symbols of symbols of the truth or the essence of life. Mm. <clears throat> My thoughts about a thing are not the thing. The words yeah. that I create to try and communicate my thoughts about a thing to somebody are symbols of symbols. And so it's okay that it doesn't make sense to your conscious logical mind. Mm -hmm. Soften, breathe, decide to throw the book away or decide to put it down for now and come <laughs> back and read more later. It's okay. Mm. Because just as Christian Sundberg was told by the spiritual teacher that wrote the book that launched him the best thing to do is to quit looking for these answers outside of yourself and in somebody else's words and just get a deep meditation practice going and find out what's going on inside you at deeper and deeper levels that's where your truth is i love that this guy seems to have a kind of needle he can poke a hole through whatever it is, a dark cloud, so that I can get to that. It's something he said that sparked a sense of permission to not 
be afraid. You know, in the Bible, when it says a million times, be not afraid, I always thought of it as sort of an admonition and a, a kind thing. But I began to think it is a command. Don't be afraid. You really must not be afraid. This is the worst idea. Don't be afraid. And if you're told you, you're not allowed, to me that's a relief because it means that fear is wrong. And, of course, that's where we're always talking about if you're afraid, you're in error. So uh, I love the idea people who have had near-death experiences, they come out saying, I knew everything. Well, of course, they don't know, you know, quantum physics or this or that, but they don't need to. At that level, it's not necessary anymore. They understand on a deeper level that absorbs all of the forms that we fiddle around with on this plane. That's a relief, too, to think somehow we'll understand that we won't need to pass a test and be able to write down equations in order to have that knowledge and understanding. Well, there was a a science show on the BBC this morning or yesterday morning where they were trying to answer the question, what is magnetism and is it magic or is it science? Mm. Now, have you ever struggled with the question, is magnetism magic? Is it voodoo? Susan Bingham, have you ever struggled with that thought? I'm going to guess no, right? You just take magnetism as as part of science. We, We have magnets. We use them for all these things. Right, they they hold things up on our refrigerator. They they they're involved in every electric motor, et cetera. We just take it's science, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Guess what? When you look deeper into the science, they have no idea how it works. So eventually, they're getting down to things like, well, so what this is, what's happening is that sunlight is magically turning into magnetism particles. It's just just another level at which if we'll listen to it, if we'll step into it, we'll realize we really just make this stuff up. Even our hard science, we -hmm. just make it up. We don't know exactly how it works or why. We just keep fiddling around with it until it works. And when it works, we say, good, we know what's going on, but we don't really know what's going on, and that's okay. And if it's that, if it's that a, a fundamental truth for what we call the hard sciences, why isn't it okay in your spiritual work as you're reading a book like this? Why can't you just soften up and read through a passage like that and say, oh, that doesn't make all that much sense to me. I'll keep reading and see where where it does start to make sense to me again. Or maybe I'll read it through a few times 
and I'm going to just watch for any tension in me that might come up and do my use my tools to dismantle the tension rather than keep grinding to try and find an understanding at a conscious logical level because I will never have an understanding at a conscious logical level that isn't just something I made up. None of the understandings that you have at a conscious logical level are anything other than made up mishmash. Well, some of the mishmash. Even, even, even the, what is magnetism? Go ahead. Some of the mishmash, what? It's helped me a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah, and just be satisfied that it helps you a lot. Instead of trying to figure okay. out, but is it really true, and is it ever going to be proven untrue, and then what do I need to do if it, how do I need to defend myself? You don't have to worry about it. Right. Well, you, I haven't you, been until like, now, thanks to the suggestion. <laughs> well, and and you, you don't need to worry about how your cell phone works. It works. Yeah. You don't need to get into an argument with somebody, whether it's, quote, scientific or philosophical, about is this really, you know, the the energy of the sun as light that's been converted into particles that you don't need to argue about that. You just need to enjoy the fact that you've got a cell phone that works. Mm-hmm. Just like you don't need to have any deep discussion about is Christian Sundberg really right about all of this? You can if you want to, if you know you want to have some fun on your vacation. It doesn't matter if you waste your time. Go have an argument with somebody about whether or not this is really true. But you don't need to have that argument in order to enjoy and experiment with the concepts and the practices that are suggested. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Well, I'm because the absolute to... truth of it, no one's going to know until after they've dropped the body anyway. Yeah. Every word you say is made up. Every thought you have is coming from words that have been programmed into your mind from your earliest days when people started teaching you language. And it's all been made up by other people and none of them had direct access to the the, uh, the wisdom of the ages and the knowledge of the Creator. It's all made up. So... Why not choose a made-up story that leaves you feeling good? That helps you choose actions in the moment that lead to more preferable results for you and your family and loved ones. All true. It just amazes me, though and this is probably true for other people, they'll read something or hear something and suddenly that was the the right size key for their particular lock. Whether it's ultimately true or not, we don't know, but it caused a shift. It opened the door. 
I'm not going to analyze right. that too much. I could go right, back because it was the right care. thing at the right time. It's not necessarily yeah. that that was the key. It's that they, as you know, the receptacle for the key as the lock, like you said, all the work that you did reading Course in Miracles in a way of mastery probably set you up to be able to get a different level of comprehension or joy or uh, you know integration of this work and it isn't that this work is so magical it's just who you were how your mind was functioning when you encountered this work that's more mm. you know at interest in the, at this moment just like the, the 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 book by paramahansa yogananda anatomy of a of a yogi or autobiography of a yogi the words on that page didn't change from 45 right. or 50 years ago when I, I dropped it like a hot potato and ran from it and thought I, I, I can't even stand to hear somebody talk about this book, much less read it for myself. The book itself didn't change. 40 to 45 years later, I changed dramatically. I had mm-hmm. expanded my ability to integrate different thoughts hear things that were more contradictory to what I believed was true, and I was a different person. Mm. Yeah. So when you hit something like this, and it just doesn't make sense to your brain, the recommendation is, Say, okay, maybe I'll come back to it. Maybe I won't. Breathe and soften. If I have some tension in me and my mind wants to tell me it's because of what's on the page, I'll use my tools to dismantle that, and I'll get back to a loving state and move on with life. It may mean skipping a part part of this book. It may mean throwing the book down and not coming back to it. It may mean rereading it a few times in a week or two just to see if it makes any sense differently. But I, I won't let it become the focus for my mind to tell me that I can't continue to do something that I enjoy doing, which is either discussing it with somebody or reading it in the book or you know, changing the way you're approaching your life. And just breathe and soften and choose again. Remember that saying from Dr. Michael Rice that there is a, a a cheap copy of the spiritual faculties and the chief copy of the spiritual faculty of you know, insight or intuition or knowing is I'm going to figure it out. It's that conscious, logical, rational mind. I'm going to give it so much power in my life. And I can tell when I'm using that cheap copy because I will either think I know better than everybody else or I'll get upset when any of my beliefs are challenged and then I can know, oh, this is not my true spiritual nature. This is 
that conscious, logical, rational mind trying to comprehend stuff that it, it doesn't have the bandwidth to comprehend. And the invitation when that happens is just let it go. Cancel the thought and the goal and the need to be right and has to be shown something else and open yourself to a level of insight, intuition, inspiration, you might even call it divine inspiration, that you cannot get by thinking through to the answer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we're all faced with challenges in that way at different times in our lives because we've all been given this programming by the language and by our family and by our culture and and until we reach some kind of a an exposure to a, a broader spiritual work or meditation or something like that we think this is the only way to engage life is with our conscious logical mind And until we try something else, we'll never know. Mm. So for those people who are not willing to engage in meditation, all because, you know, a grown man doesn't do that or somebody from my part of the country doesn't do that, or in, in the reading of the uh, the book Push Off From Here by um, Laura McGowan, she talks about a friend that she's made who was... Um, fully an adult, full-grown adult man in prison for the umpteenth time. And, uh, you know, problems with the usual stuff, addiction and abuse and all that stuff. And in prison one time, somebody introduced him to sound healing, you know, like a gong bath or crystal bowls or whatever. And there he was in prison you can't have a place that feels less free and he had an experience left him feeling more free than he'd ever felt in his life wow and they they were offering things like meditation and whatever and he was just like uh you know 35 year old 40 year old black man you know that we don't meditate we don't do this and that but he couldn't deny his own experience. And mm. when he pushed past all of that cultural and family belief stuff, he turned his life around. Mm. But he had to put down everything that he thought he knew and open himself to a completely different experience. That's part of what you're up against here. Every time your conscious, logical, rational mind says, wait a minute, what do those words mean? I don't, I don't like that. I think that's what you're up against, the same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the only way out for any of us in a situation like that is to be willing to step into an entirely new level of experience, physically, mentally, emotionally, energetically, any other way you want to talk about it, I have to be willing to put away everything I think I want, my trifling treasures put away, and leave a clean and open space 
so that I can have an experience of life like I've never had before. Well, I'll never have an experience of life like I've never had before if I keep relying on my conscious logical mind. Because it can only do what it's been programmed to do. And and this resistance you have, that kind of physical, mental, emotional tension that comes up in you when you read this in this one essay, is a very familiar experience for you, isn't it? Mm-hmm. How many times in your life have you come across something doesn't fit with what you thought you already knew or what you'd been taught before, or what, and you have that same tension that you have right now? Countless times. Mm. So the the critical question for you is, am I going to just keep reengaging this? Or am I going to try for something different? Am I going to soften and breathe and release well that little nugget there I kept reading that was about 30 pages behind where I am now in the book so I did decide to go on but I underlined it for you and this is great I understand what you're saying I do bump up against those things but a lot of it is flowing around them now and letting them go it's really happening anyway Good. Yeah, what are you going to say to that? Oof. Yeah, it, it's good you're just because now you're not stuck. And, you know, when I say good, I don't mean good versus bad. I mean, okay, that's what's happening. If it feels preferable mm-hmm. to you, fine. That's fine for now. And then, And that's you living your choice. That's you having created a context for free will, and then exercising your free will. Even if you don't know what that phrase means. That's okay. Just like I don't really understand how lightning happens, but it happens anyway. (laughs) It's okay. So, as usual, it's been a delight listening to your comments and questions. I realize we're down to our last minute. I don't see any uh, sign of Jeannie on the switchboard yet, so we're not, like, getting the bums rush out of here. But I would encourage you to keep the focus more on what is your reaction to your grandson rather than what he's choosing. And um, because I have found that to be a highly preferable use of my energy, far more productive Mm -hmm. to monitor my early warning signs of negativity or upset or fear or sadness or grief or anger and use the tools to dismantle it. 
All right. I will mute you so you can listen into the second hour. Jeannie has just joined the switchboard, so thank you, Susan. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. T. Apologies for being a little late. <laughs> no problem. You're right on time. You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Munch of Church Radio, and today is Tuesday, April the 4th. 2023, and our calling number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you in to see to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions, because that makes this your show. Things are really busy here. We're uh, preparing for Dad's ceremony tomorrow, and uh, Michael's going to be actually uh, the speaker and presenter. And uh, people have been delivering food all day today, so it's been a little bit, a little bit busy. But just hold us in the space. We will be celebrating my dad going on to the next place. Anyway, if you have a question or a comment and you're on the switchboard, there's nobody waiting. Press 1, and you are first in line, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Michael's working on a new article, and so that'll be going out in a newsletter sometime. (laughs) This week's a little bit, like I said, uh, other things going on, so I'm not sure when that's going to happen, but we're working on it. And uh, we appreciate you holding the space for us. It's uh, been a little challenging time, but we are moving forward. And let's see if he's having... Technical challenges again today. I know yesterday we had a little trouble getting on the switchboard. But we'll see what's happening on that end. Are you in? Okay. So I'll find something to talk about until he gets on. Um, One of the things he's working on is uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I asked him if he would share that also today on the show, so I think he's finalizing that part, but anyway, it's, the weather has been absolutely wild. We go from rain and windstorm that just totally tore up a bunch of stuff out of the garden, and then today it's full, going up to 81 degrees. Tomorrow it's going up to 84 degrees. It's like, I think we skipped just from winter into blustery rain into summer, <laughs> So we will probably uh, start working on the garden after all of this is over and and, uh, getting things moving in that direction. I checked the emails to see if I'd gotten any more comments. I read the one yesterday where the person was just thankful for the information that they got. Uh, uh, Susan says her hand, I'll turn on her microphone. (laughs) She just sent me a text. Yeah, your your (laughs) hand was already up the first time, Susan. I didn't know that. I didn't see it flicker. Usually it'll flicker. Yeah. But I anyway, welcome. Yeah. Well, Jeannie, I just wanted to ask you, you know, it's, it's a major boulders in the deep psyche move when you lose a parent or anybody you've been with your whole life. And I wondered how you're, you seem great. And I know his passing was probably, you know, in some ways a blessing, but how do you feel? Uh, I have my ups and downs. Um, 
<laughs> like since you asked me, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> but um, um, <laughs> it was awesome being with him, and and uh, you know one of the verses, and it's amazing how the world just gives you confirmation of things. Yeah, we had talked talked about you know being with Dad when he actually sat up in bed and opened his eyes before he passed, and I said I really felt. <laughs> Like he had gone into glory even before his body let go. And uh, so I thought of the verse, the scripture verse that talks about to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And I said he was actually present with the Lord before he left his body. But we were talking about using that during the service. And Michael got a call last night from, um, I think she's a a doctor, she's a healer anyway, um, from out west. And during their conversation, actually talking about the work and talking about the habits and talking about different things, and she mentioned, she said, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. It's like, wow. Wow. Synchronicity. <laughs> yeah. And, yep. and that's a scripture quote that I'd never particularly, you know, remember thinking about or, or quoting or, you know, it's just not one that was in my memory. And the route that this woman had to take she heard somebody do a presentation she went and did some research on that presentation found one of my videos watched that video and then went to the website and got a phone number and called us and or emailed us and then called us and literally when we were driving back home we had gone out for dinner last night we have a monday night our cheap day night is a ten dollar pizza at, uh, at mellow mushroom and it's about three miles away. We're driving back, and we were talking about that quote, and I said, you know, it's one I've just never really thought about. Or, And now, I mean, we've lived it like full blast. And yeah. literally an hour and a half later, this woman just out of the blue brings that quote up. You know, it's just amazing. amazing. And I know for me, the fact that Dad's gone is, and, and the fact that we were there as part of it, when I think of it, it's absolutely joyful. And, you know, when I think about, you know, like last night, we were going to go to Kroger, and usually we'd go to see him and go to Kroger because it's on the other side of town. It's like, oh, we don't have a reason to go over to that side of town anymore. You know, and there's, there's that missing aspect with that, for me, that human aspect of it. But on the other side, it's just, wow. Just, you know, yeah. that he allowed us to be there, and it's just, wow. Yeah. And he's free. Mm. Well, I was asking Jeannie how she's doing just in her private self about all this. Go ahead, Jeannie. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I'll probably, it will um, be different when this is over, but there's been so much to do. You know, we had the trip already planned, so that was kind of a distraction, but, um, and a joyful, wonderful one. But um, there's just so much to do, you know, like, preparing, making sure that everything's ready and, you know, like it's going to be in a family cemetery over on the farm. And so mm-hmm. one of my cousins had said, you know, that the grave wasn't dug yet. So it was like getting a hold of the funeral home here to make sure they had gotten hold of the funeral home there. And that, you know, that was covered. Oh, somebody's rattling. Um, anyway, making sure that was covered and then trying to finalize like dad was in the service. Uh, for eight years, and so he gets military honors and and mm. making sure the color color guard was going to be there. And one of the things last night, we I was doing some 
looking, you know, because one of the things that they do is, you know, they fire off. There's usually uh, seven men, and they fire off three rounds, so it's 21 gun salute or whatever they call it. And I was looking, and, and basically where that comes from, they're emptying their guns into the air. And when the Navy did it, they emptied their guns into the sea. And it was basically telling whoever is, you know, on the quote-unquote other side, no, we're empty, you know, we're vulnerable, we're not going to attack, you know, we don't have any ammunition, we're here in peace. And so it's an honor of vulnerability, I guess, um, to the person who has deceased, to the veteran. That, you know, there's no war. I never knew that. And so it it gives it a a sweeter meaning, you know. It's not just Mm -hmm. about, you know, war or whatever or firing guns or... So it's um, a peaceful honor thing. So it's just been so busy trying to get all that. And then, like, um, my niece came in this morning and her family and my brother and all of his family are coming through about 3 o'clock. And so the church and all these people are delivering food and they're supposed to pick it up and take it on down to the farm so that it's already there for the people that are already there. And it's just, like, so much stuff to do just to get all the T's crossed, you know, and um, so I, I think after it's over and we're back home and settled, uh, you know, I may feel differently because then I'll actually breathe more. <laughs> yeah. So I did well. treat myself this morning to a manicure pedicure. So hey, I did go out and do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I took two hours. She's taking care tempered. of herself. Yeah. That's good. Well. Thank you for having that. It's amazing that you're doing the radio show. Thanks for doing it. I know you've taken some days off, and I've had to take days off too because of, you know, weird things going on. So, but it's amazing that with all that's still going on for you, you're on the show. That's really nice. It's an honor to be here. And we had, um, you know, as a family, we had written some things. We did it when Mom passed, and and just on he's our, our dad, he's our G pop, our papa, our G pop, and our dad, and just some of the things that we recall of his life. And yeah. So I was finishing up that yesterday and kind of had a meltdown, but for the most part, I'm doing well. Yeah. Well, we're all, all all who are listening are loving you, loving whatever the phrase is, it's a southern phrase, oh, loving on you. <laughs> In the north, we don't use that, but I like it, loving on you. I guess I understood it right. I, I picture it doing it. yes. <laughs> Good. I picture I we, we love on our pets. We go mush them and yeah. pat them and kiss them and maul them. It's a little bit <laughs> close to what we're doing. <laughs> Anyway, we're just waiting. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, and we appreciate it. It's a lot you've been through. A lot. I love that you're posting pictures of him in his vigor. You know, we did that at hospice. We would post pictures of the dying people in their 
when they were vigorous and fine, the way we'll be in heaven, I imagine, so that we could find our way to those old bodies, through those old bodies, to who they really were. It helped a lot to have those pictures up by their bedsides. Right. Yeah, we had a, um, there's actually a thing called a photo frame. And mm-hmm. we had that in his room and it would give, you know, like all of my brothers and my nieces, nephews, the pass key to it. And so they can go online and upload photos. And nice. it, they would show up in his room and the photo frame just rotates from picture to picture. Oh, that's you know, great. So. That's, a, that's definitely an upgrade from when I worked at Hospital. Yeah. And that allowed everybody, you know, to participate in, you know, I can't be there, but, you know, here's their family, here we are. And, yeah. You know, sometimes and dad would know who the they were, and sometimes he wouldn't. It helps the doctors and nurses to, to realize the humanity, the personhood of that person who's so diminished by the time they're in those beds. Well, the flare of life that came to him mm. when he took his last breath. I mean, I, I was thinking this morning, Jeannie, and I couldn't quite pin it down, but it's somewhere between a year and maybe a year and a half since we've seen him sit up. Oh, wow. And he had to be sat up. He hasn't sat up in a year or a year and a half. And the instant before he took that last breath, he sat up by himself, just sat up looked up to the left and his eyes popped out and I mean the energy in the room was just awesome. The strength in him was awesome and great. And he took that last breath. Yeah. And Jeannie while you just mentioned the photo frame, we really need to make a note to get that out and take it with us so we've got it at the farm when everybody's there. Hadn't thought of it so I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah. So we're breathing a lot. I bet. How about you, young lady? How are you doing? I'm breathing, too. You said you've had to take some time out? Yeah, well, we're... I finally brought him on board to brainstorm about our house guests. Um, Right. Because... Tim and I had an interesting discussion when we were on a walk, and I said, um, I think about this person a lot. I think about Michael a lot, and I I keep having to allow him to do what he's doing or not do what he's not doing, and wait and see, let things be. And I said, how is it for you? And he said, oh, yeah, I don't even think about it. And I said, if I didn't live in this house with you and him, would it be different? He said, oh, yeah, I'd be doing what you're doing. <laughs> I said, all right, then let's join forces here. I don't want to carry this myself. This is big. So I want you in on the, I want you thinking about it too, if you don't mind. And that was Tim Hayes' suggestion. He said, why don't you ask him to join you in Great idea. doing whatever. Yeah. So we've come to a conclusion and we probably will have some support. I'm waiting, waiting for a call from the social security insurance gov.gov people because they really said we're withdrawing his funding if he's living with you. Well, the flip side of that is 
if he's working hard for us, he could stay here. That was the implication. So he did a little bit of gardening the other day. And I know that's because he's hoping that if he does enough, we'll invite him to stay. And the amount of enough for me would be much more than he's doing. He does maybe 10 or 15 minutes in the garden, you know, and then he fills the bird feeders and he runs a vacuum over the main areas of the hallway. Um, And it's been nice to have that, but it's definitely not an even exchange. I never made that deal with him. I just thought, we'll just keep you here, keep you warm and safe until winter is over. And I don't really, to make him work a lot of jobs, cleaning bathrooms and things, I mean, I I do those things myself because they feel, uh, it doesn't feel right somehow. So anyway, so the deal is that Tim and I are going to find a way to have him leave within the month, but we haven't told him yet. And it'll be seven months that he's been here by the end of April. And I do have, we're going on a trip, and I do have a house sitter coming to live here during that week. And I found that I didn't want to ask Michael to take care of the animals and be upstairs. And Tim doesn't want him to do that either. And I'm not sure what that's about. It may be a prejudice against people who are homeless. And uh, I'm looking at that. There's so much learning going on here. But... So we're really very much up in the air and we haven't had any discussions and we hardly, hardly see him. And I feel as if in some ways Tim and I have failed. We haven't invited him or tried to socialize him, but he just lifts upstairs quick, goes outside, walks his dog, quick, quickly goes to the grocery store, brings in a few bags, goes right downstairs. We have a few words, but there's no... There's there's no um, reciprocity. And at the beginning, I would ask him about himself, and it was mainly recitations about all the the gigs he had and how successful he was. And boy, I get that. He wanted to tell us that he's a successful person, a worthy human being in the cultural standards. You know, I made money at one time and all this. But there's been no dialogue there's been no curiosity on his part about who we are. Um, and we're not going to sit him down and say, you need to know about us. So I find this all very, this is new and mind-boggling. So that's just a report. And I'd love to hear what you think about, are we missing something? Could we be doing something differently? I'm just finishing a, a text to you. Um, oh, okay. And I, as I'm listening to what you're saying, and uh, just some thoughts. And f- for me, what that would look like, uh, you know, it, it sounds like there's a party that would like to demand some social interaction with him, but you're reticent to do that, and he's reticent to offer it. But if if his SSI is conditional upon him doing a certain amount of work there, it would seem fair if you're not using the space elsewise to offer him literally a job 
and you give him a list of tasks to do. And, and if he wants to do that, by doing so, he gets to stay there and he gets to maintain his SSI. And you can let go of the, you know, he then becomes more, you know, a, a, an acquaintance, tenant, where you don't, you can cancel all need for social interaction. His life is his and yours is yours. And, you know, if the twain meet, nice. And if they don't, he's a tenant that's, you know, working his way, paying his way for what you're offering him. He's maintaining his income and he doesn't have to go out and face that whole, you know, what am I going to do getting back on the road again? Where am I going to live? How am I going to live? It seems like that might be a solution. Yeah, I don't want to do it. No, so well, I have to I'd deal with my. Don't do it. But why not? I mean, is it? I'm questioning. You know, in this day and age, we really need to help each other. The homelessness problem is horrendous. And yep. you know, my grandson is regaling us because we don't give him more money than we're giving him, and he gets really ugly about it, and that's so disturbing. My work mainly is to stay balanced. Well, that's balanced. his work, not yours. Yeah, but my work that's is to Jonathan's stay work, not yours. Yeah. I hear you. I, I got you. You know, there's that story about the it's a, there's that story about the, the person on the beach and the starfish are washed up on the beach and he's picking starfish up and throwing it back in the ocean and Another person comes on, what are you doing? Well, I'm saving these starfish. He says, well, look how many millions of them are. You, you can't save them all. You, you, you can't make a difference. He said, I just made a difference to that one's life. Yeah, that's what I think about. We're not doing much, but this is, this is something. And yet, you know, we don't have a separate entrance for him. And um, so he has to come through. And maybe I can get comfortable with that. There's something that doesn't feel comfortable about this whole setup. And maybe, I don't know, Tim and I, I am, I have put in a call to the Social Security person because I'm not sure if he could continue getting those checks if he continues living here. I think not, even if he's working here. I think she made an exception. So if that's cut off, then he has to stay here forever unless he gets really enterprising. And what we've seen is that whatever jobs find a van and stuff have dropped off to nothing. It appears that nothing is happening. And then my I have to do wake-up sheets on getting impatient and thinking he should do this and he should do that. Well, what the heck? You know? did, did you Have you ever watched the, uh, the video that I did for Avison Medical... Uh, for their medical, you know, one evening a month they do a medical conference for medical people. And I did a presentation yeah. on the sympathetic parasympathetic. Have you ever listened to that? Yeah. I've listened to part of it and I, in different sections, okay. and I have it up here. Yeah. No, you're right. talking about well, one, you talked about this before. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Just that one of the aspects of sympathetic dominance, which means uh, one is under fear, anger, hostility, or just general stress is they move into sympathetic dominance. And it literally, one of the responses we talked about, you know, the fawning, but the one just before fawning is freeze. That literally, the brain freezes. Literally, the mm-hmm. spine is 
inactivated. Mm-hmm. And I mean, people, will, the person who freezes in front of an oncoming car, they didn't decide to commit yeah. suicide. Literally, it struck them so hard that their nervous system simply yeah. shut down and they couldn't move. They couldn't move. And so, you know, from what I've, you know, the little conversation that I've had with Michael and the things you've shared, I suspect that's probably where he lives a whole lot, especially if he thinks about, I've got to go out and make my way again. I know. And it's a, I, it's a tough place to recover from. You know, the person who's in such depression, they can't get out of bed. That's another expression of the same thing. That's another mm. sympathetic dominance thing that just cuts the, shuts the system down. Literally right down to blood flow being restricted to the areas of the brain and the nervous system that would allow one to take action. So I guess I come back to what's Tim's and my responsibility here. What can we do besides just a total out-and-out rescue until we die or leave for a nursing home in our dotage or something? Well, my offering would be, you know, when you say I don't want to do it, if it's a matter of, well, we want our privacy and this is our home, then I think you have every right to make that choice. Or you would mm-hmm. mention the other alternative is, well, maybe it's just a prejudice against homelessness, and if that's it, then it's an opportunity to do some forgiveness, an opportunity to do some inner work and uh, and open a different kind of space with someone that, uh, that you know, maybe your, your cultural upbringing uh, has been taught to exclude. Mm-hmm. I do have a lot of judgments about somebody who isn't pulling their own weight, making an effort. Uh, And then I ask myself, what would it be like for me if I were in his shoes? And I I yell back at myself and say, I wouldn't be in his shoes. I've been single before and I got jobs. There are lots of jobs out there. I would do this. I would do that. But I'm not him and he's not me. I'm not staying in his shoes. So... Anyway, this and is someone an who has a nervous system that shuts down is, yeah. uh, you know, where the average person says, well, that's great. Well, why would anybody do that? It's, it's not that it's a choice. It doesn't have anything to do with choice. It is a choice. Yeah. When you understand the nervous system and how a certain level of stress, it literally quits. Again, that person who's frozen in front of a car, it's going to cost them their lives. They didn't choose to kill themselves, but the nervous system caused such a level where the the structure literally froze in place and resulted in their death. So in a Mm -hmm. sense, of course, everything that, you know, every place that everybody is is a result of choices they've made or, or more correctly, decisions because many people have never made a choice in their lives. All they've made are decisions, you know, whatever's structured in the mind plays out and and rotates within the mind. And the, uh, I I understand the challenge. I've watched thousands of people come through this work over the years who've made, you know, monumental leaps in their work. And then they come against that issue that leaves them in, 
that frozen mode and they turn away. And I've mm-hmm. seen it take, and in one case that comes to mind, it took 10 years for somebody to come back and say, what was that you said? Yeah. And went back to work again. Literally took them 10 years. So I certainly understand the, uh, you know, where you or I would say, well, but there's always a resource inside of me. But, you know, unfortunately, some people are so loaded, there are no resources left inside of them. There just aren't. And it's unfortunate and difficult. And you and I would say, well, but you can reach out and do something. And, And yes, you and I could reach out and do something. But the person has no resources left. Can't do that. Yeah. I guess I'm using the wrong word. I'm saying he won't do it. And you're saying he can't. In in the current circumstance, that would be my offering. I don't think he can. You know, just just when, when you think about, you load a goal in your mind, and then whatever is resonated by that goal forms your perception. And I can imagine, just from your descriptions and my conversation with him and, you know, the people I've worked with over the years, that when that goal is loaded in his mind, it just brings up such a flood of mental constructs that just, you know, you know just can't be handled. Just no resource, no, no reserve left to deal with it. Yeah. And it's certainly an unfortunate place to be. So holding the space for you for guidance and Tim and for Michael to be able to come up with the resources that moves his life forward gently for him. Thanks. All needed. I had a situation back a few months ago with a homeless person that I accidentally met here in the neighborhood and, you know, support him with a little bit of money and transport him a couple of times. And there came a point where, you know, it's like, okay, the message I got from him is, well, now it's your job to take care of me and make sure I survive. It's like, well, I I have one more thing I'm going to do. It's going to be zero degrees for a week next week. I've I bought a hotel for you, but no, it's not my responsibility. So once you've completed with that hotel, your life's back on your own again. I I'm not going to handle that for you. Well, that it became that kind of an expectation. I hear you. Well, that's true here too. Well, that's, I think, where the conversation comes in, where people say, say, now I need to set boundaries. And I I know that it's not exactly the same, but I know in in cases I've worked with over the years with people who've had a child that has been ostensibly mentally ill or perhaps really truly mentally ill, and their behaviors just became intolerable. Yeah. And I've shared with that, you know, that person is working with me to do some work to to process through and to deal with that. And it's like, well, there comes a point where, you know, you certainly have a right as a parent to say, so now 
we're going to stop what we're doing and you're going to go off on your own and do what you need to do. And one of the things you're going to need to be aware of is, especially in the case, one case that I'm thinking about, this child had threatened to kill themselves. And then uh, in the conversation with the parent was, and if you lay this law down, you need to be aware and, and are you willing for that consequence to happen? And of course, it's different with one's own child than somebody that you've met, you know, who's homeless out in the street. But yeah. um, that person did, you know, go ahead and enforce that with the child and the child ended up committing suicide. And it was tough. But that's one of the consequences of of that sort of situation. That's awful. Yeah. Difficult. There are many, many difficult uh, choices to make in life sometimes, unfortunately. Yeah. And I hold the space yeah. for you to be centered and connected in love and and follow the prompts that come from that space in you. I mean, you're the only one that's there live in that situation that can yeah. really receive Ruka's guidance as to what live in this moment should my answer be, should my, you know, demeanor, my behavior be. So we hold the space for that to be on track. Thanks. And for Michael to also be ready to receive the the results, the consequences that he sets up. So breathing with you. I'm definitely breathing. I bet you are. So anything else on your mind for today? Oh, no. I mean, yes, but, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is great. Thank you for giving it this much attention, Michael. Appreciate it. Well, we're happy to offer all the attention that we can. That's what we're doing. That's what we're here for. And, you know, as I've said many times before, I appreciate the level of intellect and commitment that you have to keep coming forward with questions that serve everybody. Well, that's good if they do. Because without the questions... No, without the questions, we can't ever get to the answers. So, mm. well, Doctor Tim so has been coaching to stay centered with dealing with Jacob, who um, is mentally not well and gets mean, as I've told you. Right. Uh, and there are ever new iterations of this mode he's in. Uh, and uh, he in school now? Very, yes, he's in school. He's filling out his taxes, and he's telling them that he has no income, uh, so that he can get financial help. And I don't understand the tax situation, but we pay for his tuition, his apartment, his car, his meal plan, his vet bills for his cat. And he's mad at us because we don't cover some other things. And he does have a job. He insists he's sober, but he doesn't sound sober. And often people uh, keep using and say they're not. He tells me he's in his AA and he's doing this and that. 
he's very, very angry with us not sending money when he asks for it. And he has a teacher that he talks to giving him $500 to take care of his cat. And then he bought a lot of cat toys and probably some weed. Um, uh, confronting them, him, he goes into complete denial. That's none of your business or he won't answer at all. But he's filling out his taxes as if there's no income. And I said, well, I think this is tax fraud, but I'll ask Tim. He's the lawyer in the house. And he said, well, everybody does it. Look at all these oligarchs who have billions of dollars and they cheat on their taxes. Suddenly he's gone over into a side that he himself has been objecting to terribly. And I can't, I don't try to reason with him because I can't. Um, but again, you know, back to the worksheets, back to trying to stay okay under attack like this because the invitation is you are a scumbag for not giving me money. Well, I'll tell you honestly, if I were in that posture, I'd be saying, okay, I got it. I'm a scumbag, so I'll accept that. And there's no money. That's all. Mm -hmm. There's no money. Well, he's like your the son of your friend who he threatened suicide and maybe we should let that take its course if that's the way it's going to go. Oh yeah. yeah. There's my daughter in between. Anyway. I, I hear don't... you. That's, that's again, I hear the, the difficulty of that and yeah. you know what the, what the alcoholic and drug addict, you know, it's, it's well known in the A circles is they'll just literally wring everybody dry of every resource, financial, emotional, and otherwise. And, you know, when, when they are not getting another drop out of the ring that they're doing, they'll crank the energy up another level. And the, the bottom line of their behavior is deceit. That's just where they live until, you know, and and of course in AA circles they say until somebody hits bottom and bottom basically is when they've rung everybody out to the point where everybody says I quit I'm not doing this anymore and the longer it takes the more difficult it is to make a comeback from it the longer the habit of being able to ring everybody for everything they've got so that one doesn't have to be responsible for one's own life the more difficult the life lessons become you know, at, at three, the lesson is a, you know, with the uh, with the terrible twos and the threes is a is a, a tough one. But you know, if the lessons learned, then that life changes. And you know, at ten, that that lesson's more difficult. And at fifteen, it's more difficult. And at twenty, and at thirty, and you know, it's a it's a difficult one to to get out of that deceitful mind that step into truly doing one's work. And so. And it sounds like he's pretty good at ringing you guys out. Yeah, he is. <clears throat> okay, Michael. Well, thanks for listening to that. That's just a sob story. Thanks for listening. Well, and at the same time, I hear you willing to move to the level of clarity where everything that brings up in you, and you know, maybe he's a fully realized conscious spiritual being that's just playing that so that grandma gets to work through every self-condemning thought she's got. 
And uh, he's certainly giving you many opportunities to move through those things and, and stand solid and grounded in the truth of who you know you are. And when you mm-hmm. are in that truth, nothing can threaten it. Nothing, As the Course says, nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Yeah. But it happens. And it's difficult to watch somebody play life out like that. Especially when you think there's something you can do do about it. Yeah. Our idea with him was to pay for college and his apartment until he graduates, which is not for another year. And then he knows he's on his own after that. And I'm wondering if even doing that much is a mistake. Uh, well, if, anyway, if the AA folks are correct that you have to hit your bottom, it prolongs his hitting his bottom for another year. And, you know, that's a judgment call. And as you say, you've got your daughter in between, your daughter to consider. And... uh I don't know, has she been wrung out enough that she says, I'm finished? She's blocked calls from him. And he calls her all the names he can find, narcissistic, uh, um, abusive, manipulative, self-centered. Yeah, it's all everybody else's fault. It's everything that I see him doing. He's blaming her and calling her names like that. She doesn't want to hear it. Projection. Has blocked. Yeah. Yeah, total projection. Yeah. You know, Paul Paul was addressing that one 2,000 years ago. He said, beware you who judge another for that in which you judge another. You have been guilty of practicing. Mm-hmm. Well, he was bringing that to the world 2,000 years ago. Good stuff. Oh, you know, I have for a For sure. A Lenten thought. Jesus said many yes. times, do not be afraid, be not afraid. And that's, I, I always thought of it as a sort of supportive thing to say and a, a comforting thing to say and maybe an admonishment, but it's a command. I don't know if it is, but I, if you are commanded to not be afraid, then you are really, it's your job to come away from fear and do all you can to not be afraid. And it's also permission. We don't have to be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Anyway, that was just a thought. It's right on fear. I mean, why would someone who has spiritual knowledge say don't be afraid? Because they know that that's how people go into sympathetic dominance and literally destroy themselves. Yeah. That's right. what fear does. You know, it is. In, in the ancient scriptures, they talked about it as a demon. You know, perfect love casts out fear. It's like casting out a demon. Wow. <clears throat> Which is, you know, the destroyer. I was reading some, some stuff not too long ago about the um, Middle Eastern thoughts on alcohol and it comes from a word alcool, and I may not be pronouncing that correctly, which means a ghoul. 
that alcohol wow. is a ghoul in Middle Eastern wow. thought. Mm-hmm. Wow. And we start looking at how in our culture alcohol is promoted as, well, you know, well, it's just, you know, it's just one of those things. It's a social lubricant. It's okay. And, you know, we have a special cabinet in our home where we keep that stuff just for our best friends and our, our parties and our right. closest relations. Right. And then we feed them that poison, you know. Um, when one wakes up to, no, there's nothing but a poison here. This is not a social lubricant. This is, we have been brainwashed by the alcohol producing industry. Uh, the same way as the brainwash is happening now with pot in the culture, and it's becoming legalized, and that's coming from the highest levels of the political system. People who, yeah. you know, ruled at the highest levels are now the people who are promoting pot and are standing there making, raking in billions from it. You know, in this, we're in this nice little Baptist town where when Jeannie first moved here, uh, they had blue laws. Nothing was even open. And now you can go down to the local store and buy all the pot you want. Yeah. You can grow in your backyard. You can go over to the casino and blow millions. I mean, it's like, it's a ghoul. It takes over. And I can remember when I used to think it was just, well, it's just a thing in the culture. <laughs> because I'd never been educated as to what it really was. Well, I thought it should be legalized so that people were not put in jail for having it, but I don't think that's an answer either. <clears throat> yeah, decriminalization a has a has a play in it, yes. De- decriminalization as compared to legalization, they're two different things for sure. Yes. Whoa. Life is fraught with opportunities, isn't it? It is. I don't always appreciate them, Michael. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I understand. Each invitation to the next layer of cleaning up our genes is uh, an invitation into deeper and deeper. What's the word I'm looking for? Facing on a deeper level things that, you know, for generations people have not wanted to face and not want to deal with because they're difficult choices to make, mm-hmm. difficult things to work through. I mean, you look at what every one of us is carrying around in our genes, and it's some tough stuff, especially if we're working from the mind of perception. And there's, to me, where the benefit of forgiveness is, of being able to collapse perception and work from a different place than just from the constructs of the mind. Almost think the whole thing was set up to give us the opportunity to make the choice to go there. Yeah. Which I think it is. <laughs> I think it is. It is. I think it is. Yeah. All right, young lady. Well, you have a blessed one. We cherish you. Thank you. Wish me luck. I'm having a big molar taken out at 3.30. Okay. And tomorrow around (laughs) noon, we're going to be doing Dad's service. So if you just think about us around then and send love in our direction, that would be awesome. 
Okay. Yeah. Have a have a wonderful time at that thing. All right. Blessings. Thanks. You too. Okay. Well, Miss Jeannie, it's uh, almost ten two. We got eleven minutes. All right. Well, if you're out there in listener land, did that conversation bring anything up for you? If it did, let's talk about it. How can we support you? What's on your mind? Maybe put a call out one more time for an intensive at Heartland and talk about that. Okay. Yeah, we're looking at the um, – we were not going to do a season at Heartland because of the whole COVID thing. And then we had someone who inquired that actually wanted to use the center, which is something we'd never done before. And we moved in the direction of getting that all set up. And uh, and literally at the moment where they were to provide their final commitment and deposit to carry it forward, they dropped away. But based on that happening, we decided, well, if we're going to do that, then we'll open up and do a season at Heartland. And so we're kind of on the fence at this point, and it's a, uh, a a plan and a choice that we have been have not completed. It's been going on for a few weeks now, but uh, circumstances have uh, sort of kept that ball rolling without any finalization. So it's going to take a fair bit of work to to make that communication and such to make that decision uh, or make the choice as to whether or not we're going to go ahead with anything in Heartland this summer. And with having what you know, my former having passed away and having gone out to Kansas City to be with my son and and his wife and she and her passing and then coming back and having dad pass and so that's sort of just that ball's just been kind of rolling down the hill and uh, and if you're interested in joining us we will be once we complete the service tomorrow that's one of the places we'll be turning our energy and our our uh, research. So if you're interested in joining us for a Food Fund Forgiveness and Work program at Heartland this summer or a nine-day intensive, then if you would drop Jeannie a note, J-E-A-N-I-E at W-H-Y-Again.org. You'd send her an email, again, J-E-A-N-I-E at W-H-Y-Again.org. Include your name and email address or pardon me, phone number, then if you're interested in doing something, that will help us to make the decision. Is there enough energy to to move in the direction of doing something at this late date for the summer or not? Let us know. That would be appreciated. And we're in preparation for tomorrow's service with Dad out at the farm, the family farm. And so we're going to call it a day for today and appreciate you joining us and hold the space for you to have the best year yet of your eternal life. It is an awesome gift to give the world and blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to MindShifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pache as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time 
on Mindshifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.